Good morning and welcome to the Hub City Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us in worship this morning. As the Hub City Church, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like to hear more about our vision, or if you're interested in joining our serve teams, community groups, or men's and women's ministries, you can visit our website, thehubcitychurch.org, or just text the word Hub City to 97,000, and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. Our holiday schedule is out now on social media platforms, as well as our church center app. The first event is Saturday, December 9th for the Feed Fosters annual breakfast with Santa at the Gulfarium in Fort Walton Beach. We have an opportunity to serve foster families in our local community, and there are different ways you can volunteer for this event. The event is from 8 to 12, and if you'd like to sign up to volunteer, you can stop by the check-in desk following service. God has been so faithful in continuing to grow our church body. To help accommodate those looking for seating, it would be super helpful to keep end seats open so our ushers are able to easily find seats for those coming into the service. Kids are always welcome in service, and we have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're so glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. Hey, good morning again. Uh, my name is Tad Anderson. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the Hub City Church, and we are so glad you're joining us this first Sunday of, of Advent. I uh, just have a few things to uh, address really quick before we get to the word here. The first thing is, I just want to, I was not here last week, so I want to re-celebrate our Thanksgiving outreach. Man, it went so well. I'm just so grateful for this church family who uh, not only claims to love the gospel, but who shows their love by going and taking that gospel to those who need the hope that it brings. Um, with uh, the Crestview Manor on, on Thanksgiving Day and the downtown outreach and the, um, the Northwood boxes, I, I think we, we served uh, 300 meals, so that's just incredible. Um, and it was the first time ever that we actually ran out of food, so... That was just awesome, just awesome to see that this year. And so uh, we've been talking, and every time we do our Thanksgiving outreach, we have like a bunch of people who are, who are saying, man, we should do this more often. We should do this you know, quarterly or whatever. And so uh, for the first time, we are going to commit to that, I think. And so uh, we're, we're considering strongly doing a, a Christmas Eve Eve outreach in the same spot. If you went with us for Thanksgiving downtown, uh, we're going we're gonna to try and do that again, do a different menu, uh, but really the same heart behind that, just to um, share the love of Christ and take some warm meals to those who uh, otherwise uh, may not have them. So uh, we'd love for you to join us for that, and we'll obviously get some more logistics out to you. But again, if you join us for Thanksgiving, uh, we're not reinventing the wheel for Christmas. It's going to be the same, same deal, same thing. So um, yeah, really looking forward to that. The, the second thing is um, I'd just like to uh, give a shout out, thanks, special thanks to uh, James and John, the Sons of Thunder, who were here preaching. Uh, sorry, uh, Josh and Matt, who were here <laughs> preaching in my stead. So uh, thankful for those brothers, as well as all the, all the other leaders here. And, and uh, just, just really grateful that I can 
step out and take a break with my family uh, every now and then. So appreciate you guys. Uh, and the last thing is just our, our holiday schedule. It is up on social media uh, and the Church Center app, but uh, we do have the Feed Fosters uh, outreach, which is something that we, we, we do that really all year long. We have a once a month um, time where we distribute meals to foster families here in our community, um, but there is that particular outreach, uh, Breakfast with Santa. If you want to know more about that and serving those foster families, you can get with my wife, Amy, about that. And then, yeah, kids singing program uh, is coming up as well. And just so you know, for the um, Christmas Eve service, I think we're just going to do, uh, since Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday, we're just going to have normal Christmas Eve service on that Sunday. So morning, 10 a.m., as usual, and we'll do the same thing uh, for New Year's Eve service uh, as well, just because it feels like a missed opportunity. You know, it's like if you can't, like, have the Lord's Day service and Christmas Eve, like, on one, one time, you know, like, what are, you, what are you doing? You know, it's like, it only comes every, like, 7 to 11 years that that happens. So anyway, uh, so I think we're going to do it that way, and um, yeah, all right, well, that's it. That's all I have for us, and uh, by way of announcements. But this morning, we are rolling into our uh, final sermon series of the year. It's an Advent series, as you probably gathered. It's called God and Sinners Reconciled, and before uh, I get to the title... Let me just explain the term Advent really quick for those who may be uh, somewhat unfamiliar with it. Advent is the English version of the Latin term Adventus, which means coming or arrival. And it's a translation of the Greek word parousia, which occurs in the New Testament um, over 20 times, the majority of which have an eschatological or end times connotation to them uh, and reference the return of Christ or his second coming. That said, the topic of Christ's coming uh, shows up way more than just 20 times. It's referred to over and over again. It's in almost every book of the New Testament, and I think that this series will help us uh, understand why that is. But to just say briefly up front, it's because Advent, or the arrival of Christ, is a central theme to the Christian gospel that so many other uh, doc, Christian doctrines are intertwined with necessarily. This is why uh, some of us, as we were growing up, we had little you know Christmas tree shaped uh, cardboard calendars, right, with little uh, perforated doors that you could peel open, and you would you know for every day leading up to Christmas, behind each door was a little treat of some kind, a candy or a trinket. Uh, this is kind of a kind of a watered down version of the Christian concept of. Of Advent. Uh, Advent on the traditional church calendar is meant to be celebrated not just as one day, Christmas Day, but as a season, right? As a season, the season of expressing awe and wonder at the incarnation of Christ, the reality that Jesus, the Son of God, came in human flesh and dwelt among us, both fully man and fully God, in order to secure our redemption through his perfect life, atoning death, and triumphant resurrection. And so if I could be so bold, the Christmas season is a season where believers in Christ take time daily to behold the wonder, not of Santa, not of sweet treats and Christmas lights, not of parties and presents. And to be clear, I... Love most of that. I'll let you guess which one I don't. I'm, I'm for most of that, okay? Um, but the reason for the Christmas season is for believers in Christ to take time each day 
to specifically behold the wonder of the first advent of their Messiah and to stir their hearts together in longing for his second advent. And on each new day of the Advent season, usually those who celebrate this way consider one particular aspect of Christ's coming because uh, there are so many facets to it. This is why um, in the hymn, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy, it says, I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. There are so many, perhaps 10,000 aspects to the multifaceted beauty of Christ and how he entered in to human history to save us, right? So anyway, this is why we preach uh, Christmas series Advent series as a church, not just one Christmas sermon, because there's a lot to it for us to meditate on. I'd also encourage you, I know others have, uh, to consider reading through an Advent devotional of some kind this month. We posted a free one on uh, Facebook this week, because Advent really does have the capacity to draw us in, to captivate our hearts uh, for even more than just four sermons, right? It can do it all month long. But uh, without further ado, let's pray, and we'll, we'll talk about... Uh, our first topic of Advent. Let's pray. Father, you are gracious and good, sovereign and strong. You are our God, and we thank you so much for how you've given us hope. As lost, broken sinners, every one of us, we were previously hopeless, enslaved by our own sin, crushed by the hardships of a broken world with seemingly no way out and no light at the end of the tunnel. And then you sent your son, Jesus, to give us grace, mercy, and a future. A future without the mar of sin, where all of our tears will be wiped away, where pain, sickness, death, and relational strife will be vanquished forever. And all of that, God, you've told us is wrapped up in and connected to a certain return of Jesus. And so, Lord, my prayer is that this Advent season, through these messages, but also through our daily study of your word, we as your church would not be all stirred up into a hype frenzy with the culture, fighting each other in Walmart for the stuff of next year's garage sales, but that we would be anchored more than ever and the hope of the gospel, the hope of salvation, the hope of eternal life, the grace of Christ's first coming, and the hope of his imminent second coming. We pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Well, maybe some of you are grateful to be in this Advent series because you don't really care what we teach on so long as we get out of that series on sin. Right, uh, But uh, if I could, allow me to make just one final allusion to the messed up nature of the Genesis storyline. I, I don't know about you, but um, if you were here, in the, in the moments where I would uh, have to get vulnerable, not just reading the scriptures, but allowing the scriptures to uh, read me in those jacked up Genesis episodes, what I would find is that I have just as much of a propensity 
as the Old Testament saints that I was reading about. To hide from God, to rely on things other than God for comfort, to be half-hearted in my faith, to uh, wrestle with things like envy or vainglory, family dysfunction, faithlessness, and, and so forth. And so what we saw as we talked about Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Lot and all these men and women who the scriptures tell us did truly love the Lord and have their faith in God, what we saw was that sin, even for believers, is the dark reality in all of our hearts from which we desperately need to be rescued, right? And we saw that while God promised in Genesis 3.15 that he was going to send an offspring of Eve to crush the serpent in his sinister plot for the sin-induced downfall of humanity, none of the men in Genesis... Even the patriarchs, revered as they are, none of them are the offspring that God was alluding to. None of them are the hero that we need. None of them were the Savior who was promised. And as we look at our own lives through the lens of Scripture, hopefully we see none of us are capable of hero or Savior status either. The more of Scripture we read, uh, we don't become more capable of pulling ourselves up out of our own mess. We just realize we're stuck deeper in it than we ever knew. Galatians 3.22 says, But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Right? And, and once you move past Genesis, it gets worse because in Exodus, we receive the law. And with the law, sin becomes not just kind of this ambiguous brokenness generated by our mess anymore. Once the law is introduced into the picture, sin becomes the blatant trespass of actual explicit rules that we just can't keep no matter how hard we try. You guys reading the same Bible? All right. Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came to increase the trespass. Right? This is saying, I wonder if you've understood this, this is saying that God actually gave us his law which started with the Ten Commandments, if you're like, law, yeah, ten, think Ten Commandments. He, he gave the law so that our sin would be seen for as wicked as it truly is. That's why God gave the law. The law was not given by God to save sinners. It was given to reveal that as sinners... We don't just do stupid things. We do that. We don't just do stupid things. We do intentionally rebellious things. That's what trespass means. It means God has drawn the line, delineating where we were not to go, and we all step over that line into wrongdoing on purpose. 
Every single one of us. To some degree and at some time or another, we, if we're honest, we think things we know we should not think. We say things we know we should not say. We maybe watch things we know we should not watch. We do things we know we should not do and so forth. We trespass. We transgress God's law. And as a result, once you get through Genesis and Exodus, maybe you know this, God institutes with the law a sacrificial system. You know that? Where animals were killed ceremonially on a regular basis to symbolize the need that sinners have for atonement. Constant, daily bloodshed to ingrain into the minds of the Old Testament believers that though sin has become pervasive, though sin has become ubiquitous, though everyone's doing it, it's still not okay. That's a message for today too, isn't it? Though sin has become pervasive, it's still not okay. It's still just as serious, and it still deserves death. And unless a sufficient sacrifice is made for us, then we will be separated from God by our sin when we die. Right? And, and every Old Testament believer knew, deep down, that animals were not a sufficient sacrifice to cleanse the human conscience, right? The blood of bulls and, and goats could not cover the moral transgressions of human beings. All the animal sacrifices could do was display a, a contrite heart and a willingness to repent and turn to God for the mercy that was needed. Though still, no one knew how mercy could be extended to sinful people without the satisfaction of justice. Right? That is, how could our sin be forgiven unless it was paid for by someone other than us? This was the great tension, this is the great dilemma of the Old Testament. That God is holy. God is holy. And he desires a, a holy people for himself. So he gives the law. But the law, while outlining holiness, is unable to make us holy. It just reveals that we're not. And so how can we be saved from the scourge of our own sin and truly become God's set-apart people? How can that happen? This is the dilemma of the Old Testament, and this is why every year for the past 300-plus years, okay, Christians everywhere during Advent proclaim these words regarding the birth of Jesus. Hark, the herald angels sing. 
glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Because the first coming of Jesus was the birth of the offspring from back in Genesis 3. Birth of Jesus is the birth of the offspring, the hero, the savior, the one who would resolve the tension between justice and mercy for sinful people. The one who would and the only one who could make a sufficient atoning blood sacrifice to cleanse the human conscience and grant forgiveness for sins. Hence the name of this series. So as we move closer and closer to Christmas, and you think of baby Jesus lying in a manger, the Virgin Mary, the shepherds, the star, the wise men, friend, don't be confused. Don't be confused about the meaning of it all. The meaning is clear. It's the arrival of the one who would finally bring to fruition the reality of God and sinners reconciled. That's what it's about. Presbyterian minister and New Testament scholar Gresham Mockin said this. He said, all the ideas of Christianity might be discovered in some other religion, yet there would be in that other religion no Christianity. For Christianity depends not upon a complex of ideas, but upon the narration of an event. Without that event, the world and the Christian view is altogether dark, and humanity is lost under the guilt of sin. There can be no salvation by the discovery of eternal truth, for eternal truth brings nothing but despair because of sin. But a new face has been put upon life by the blessed thing that God did when he offered up his only begotten son. So hopefully you see the beauty of transitioning from our series on sin into a series on Advent. It's because the the pitch dark reality of sin provides the perfect backdrop for the diamond of Advent to shine. And in this Advent series, we'll spend our time discussing some of the major themes of of, of Advent, what Advent is all about, if you will. And today we'll begin with the fact that Advent is about hope. It's about hope. You're probably already gathering that. But um, in our remaining time together this morning, I want to do three simple things. I want to define biblical hope. I want to explain why hope is so crucial to celebrating Advent rightly. And I want to encourage us to have our hope in the right place this month, but really all the time, right? So let's start by defining hope. Uh, In Titus chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives this really succinct expression of the role that hope plays for Christians between the two advents, if you will, the birth of Jesus and the return of Jesus. Let me read that for you. Titus 2, verses 11 through 13 says this. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. There's the birth of Jesus. There's his first appearing, his first advent. 
Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Get verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's, there's the return of Jesus, right? His second appearing, his second advent. Now, what I want you to see from these verses here. Um, is that by, by kind of defining the Christian life between the two advents, Paul helps us to very clearly understand what biblical hope is. <clears throat> it's this patient and certain anticipation that because of Christ's first appearing, his second appearing, though we don't know the exact timing, is at hand. It's, it's coming for us, right? So here's how I've defined it in your notes. Biblical hope is the confident expectation of our grace-secured future with Christ upon his imminent return, okay? This is biblical hope. I want you to notice the language of assurance, that's used when it comes to biblical hope. You see, biblical hope is not like earthly hopes. Earthly hopes like, hope my husband remembers that thing I said I wanted for Christmas, or hope my football team makes it to the Super Bowl this season, or maybe slightly more serious things like, I hope I get that end-of-year bonus so I can make Christmas really special for my family or I hope we'll be able to travel and see my grandma this year since it might be the last time that we're able to. Right? So there's, there's nothing innately wrong with any of these hopes. But do you see that they're, they're not based on anything other than temporal circumstances that we want to go a certain way? You see that? That's the instability of earthly hopes. There's no guarantee that they'll happen. Ladies, maybe remind your husband about that thing you want a few more times. Send him the Amazon link, right? <laughs> but all kidding aside, biblical hope is not like that. It's not like that. It's concrete. It's a sure thing. Our hope as Christians should be our grace-secured future with Christ, Eternal life with him and no more sin, no more strife, no more tears, no more death. And the reason that we have certainty in this is because he's already come once. Amen. He's already come once. Our hope for Advent's better than the Old Testament hope of Advent, right? He's already come once. And the first time he came, he brought the grace of salvation with him. Hebrews 9 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen. This is biblical hope. It's not in a new job opportunity. It's not in a new president. It's not in a new romantic partner. It's in Christ alone. These other temporal things they may or may not pan out for you. It might be good if some of them do, but there's no real guarantee. So church, we are not to get our 
our deepest expectations all wrapped up in these things. We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. But there's one thing that we do know is going to happen without a doubt. Jesus is going to return. And he's going to take all who are eagerly waiting for him, he's going to take us into this grace-secured future, eternal future with him. That's our hope. That's biblical hope. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, great, got it. But how does this explanation of biblical hope affect my Christmas? Glad you asked. Our culture, particularly over the past several decades, has made an absolute mockery of Christmas by leading people to celebrate it in the opposite way that you would gather from the scriptures. (laughs) Christmas in America has basically become about fast-paced acquisition of material goods and overconsumption. That's Christmas. (laughs) It's really incongruent from what you read about the first Christmas. You know, the one about... Joseph and Mary having very little, not even a decent place to stay, but having one another and having Jesus, the gift of God, and that being enough for them. Or, or, or you know, the lowly shepherds searching out the little Lord Jesus so that they can worship him. Or maybe the wise men who had great wealth, but who poured it out to exalt Jesus, to exalt Christ. I'm not suggesting, along with David Snelling, we're not suggesting that you return all the gifts you just bought on Black Friday, necessarily. But I am suggesting that some of us, while we claim to be Christians, we still celebrate the birth of Christ like the pagan culture around us. Because we don't slow down, even for a second, to think and meditate deeply on what this holiday should really be like and be about for us. We, we scurry about trying to go to all the places and do all the things and get all the stuff, and there are very few thoughts, if we're honest. It's hard to be honest about this. I, I get it. But there are very few thoughts given to the wonder of Christ coming, quiet and vulnerable in human flesh, so that that very flesh might grow up and be pierced, lacerated, and crushed on account of our prideful trespasses, to pay the price for our sin. And sure, maybe there's, maybe there's singing in our celebration of Christmas, but it's only the silly singing of Santa Baby and Jingle Bell Rock with levity. Never the serious singing of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, or O Holy Night with tears. Church, because of our hope, How we do Christmas should be different. 
It should be different. There should be a depth to it. There should be worship happening in it. Hope changes the tone and the tempo of Christmas for Christians. Hope is naturally opposed to hurry. Because, like an anchor, it's not meant to speedily take us somewhere or get us something, but to steadily keep us for someone. (laughs) That someone is Jesus. Hope's like an anchor. It's meant to steadily keep us for someone. Hebrews 6 says this. It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become our high priest forever. And so this is how biblical hope should affect your Advent season, by making it a season of affectionate longing for the return of Christ. Right? By increasing the weight of the season, not decreasing it. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not implying that Advent is a season only for mourning and sadness. No, it's, it's a season to celebrate good news of great joy. Right? We'll talk about that in the coming weeks. There, there should be fun and festivities and friends and family enjoyed in these days leading up to December 25th. But in it all, the central focus, the greatest meditation of our hearts, the pinnacle of our joy, if you will, should be the hope that we have of Christ's return. So slow down. Slow down and stoke the flames of your hope in Jesus over the next few weeks. Or maybe stomp out the flames of hoping in the wrong things. Hope is like an anchor. And so there should be some stillness involved. There should be some stillness involved. Deciding to sit and contemplate and worship as opposed to trying to hit every party and every parade and every loud, mind-numbing, food and drink imbibing experience. Sure, do some of that. Do some of that. But don't do it like non-believers whose holiday hope is bound up in the fleeting feelings elicited by lights and sounds that will be long gone by January 1st. I love those Christmas decorations that say, wise men still seek him. Right? Maybe that's a little corny now, I don't know, but <laughs> I like it because it's true. So seek out the beauties of the incarnation, the coming, the arrival, the return of Jesus. Seek these things out in your Bible. Sit in awe of him. Sing Christmas carols in your living room with your kids. Read them the Christmas story from their Bibles. Resist the urge to hurry all the way to December 25th only to realize that you hurried all the way to the end 
of this time that was meant to be spent hoping, not hurrying. Right? So we've defined hope, talked about how it should shape our advent, and finally, a closing encouragement to make sure your hope is in the right place. First Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. James 5.8 is similar. It says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Right? As I've already touched on this more or less, but Advent, this is the final point, Advent is a season for the church to fight the cultural craving for more and better trivialities by patiently focusing on the best and most important reality that Jesus came and is coming again. Okay. It's, it's one thing to have fun, play games, sing songs, watch movies, eat some sweets. It's another thing to be completely focused on trivialities, completely focused on trivialities. We'll touch on this some more throughout the series, but trivialities, the definition here, trivialities are matters of no consequence. Matters of no consequence. And the main triviality that we tend to get hooked on, again, David touched on this, the main triviality we tend to get hooked on is gifts, new things, being focused more on the aesthetics of Christmas, the outward appearance of Christmas, than the actual heart of Christmas and the spiritual significance of Christmas. Making much of what we can get this Christmas as opposed to what God has already amazingly given to us way back on the first Christmas. Again, I want to qualify this. It's not wrong to give a thoughtful gift or two to your loved ones on Christmas, but why pile up? Why pile up big, extravagant gifts higher than your Christmas tree and make that the center of attention for your family? Most of that stuff's going to be in a garage sale in two years. But we'll be in awe of Jesus forever. Amen. Right? Why not make him the center of attention instead? Advent, Christmas, they're about him. <laughs> they're about him. And they're about the hope that we have and the fact that he came once to offer us salvation and he's coming again soon to finish the work that he started. So, church, let's fight to make our Advent season about the right thing this year. Let's set our hope fully on the grace that's coming to us when Jesus returns. Amen? All right, well, as I close, I want to share something kind of personal that pertains to this theme of hope during Advent. As, as a pastor, while society kind of shoves it in our face that this is supposed to be the happiest time of year, I know, and I've become keenly aware and in tune with the fact that the holiday season is actually a time where difficulties tend to turn up in people's lives. I don't know why, but bad news is common 
in this last month of the year when it gets cold and dark, right? There are more lights on at night than any other season, but it can actually be a really difficult time for many, emotionally and relationally. Anyway, I think because of this, a lot of times we, we press into the, to the cultural trivialities of the season because we're trying to escape the painful things of our lives. If we can fill our time with parties and, and presents, then we can use those things to, to numb ourselves from the more real stuff that we wish wasn't there. And so I, I don't know what's going on in your life today, this week, this month. Maybe everything's great. And if so, I'm really glad for that. But if things are less than great in your life, I just want to remind you, brother or sister, every good and right hope in our lives ultimately terminates in the hope we have of heaven at the return of Christ, the second advent, right? Hope for a hurting marriage to heal, hope for a sick loved one to be well, hope for a, a better season financially, hope for a broken relationship to be mended. All of these things and more will be resolved and restored when Jesus, our ultimate hope, finally arrives. He's going to make all things new. Anyway, the personal part is that when Amy and I went back home to Jacksonville for Thanksgiving last week, we were struggling with some difficulties with our own family. And I was personally just really missing, for the first time I feel like, um, it kind of hit me, just really missing my dad, who was killed about a year and a half ago. And you know, the, the older I get, if I'm honest, the more disappointment fills my life. Can I be honest about that? Well, I just, I just was, so. The older I get, if I'm honest, the more disappointment fills my life. As the years go by, loved ones pass away, good friends move away, the closeness you once shared is lost, fresh marital challenges arise, the realization of missed opportunities and, and dreams that will probably never materialize begin to settle in. But here we are in the midst of Advent. I can't help but feel like Advent at the end of each year, in light of all the letdowns of this broken life, Advent has been the Lord's way of showing me, at least, that he's so much better than all my earthly hopes. He's so much better. As Amy and I were struggling last week, you guys know I'm not a super charismatic guy, okay? And so I'm not alluding to anything outside my doctrinal beliefs here, but I could just sense the Lord comforting me with a, a vision of sorts. It, not like a prophetic vision, just a, a picture of, of what I think he does in the lives of his people in order to grow them and their hope that's in him as they trust him through the years. And this vision, I, I, could see, I could see like myself, right, upheld by the good and sovereign hands of God, but attached to my heart are all these 
cords tied to the things of this world that I hoped would look a certain way. Maybe you have some of those cords yourself. And in the vision, the Lord is slowly raising me up closer to himself. But as he does, I'm frantically watching these cords snap one by one, detaching me a little more, a little more, a little more from all the insufficient temporal hopes that I once held so dear. And as he does, as each cord snaps, it's as though I can hear him saying, it's okay, you didn't need that anyway. You didn't need that. I'm enough. Find your greatest joy in me. Be comforted by me. Worship me. Hope in me. And as I do, I realize he's right. He's right. He is enough. Christ and Christ alone can bear the weight of all our hope and give us the strength we need to press on. And when he returns and we finally see our Savior face to face, Romans 5 says, our hope will not be in vain and it won't put us to shame. All our longing and all of our waiting will have been totally worth it. That's what Advent's about. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you. Thank you that though we were all lost and hopeless sinners, drowning, drowned in our brokenness, God, you gave us hope when you gave us your son. God, we thank you for the wonder of that, the wonder of the first advent, the God-man, Jesus Christ, both fully man and fully God, the only one who could make the sacrifice that we needed to have forgiveness for our sins. God, I pray, I pray something that is going to be really challenging for me and for all the men and women in this room. God, I pray that our true focus would actually be on that this season. That our focus, our true focus would really be on Advent, on the first coming of Christ, and that we would stir our hearts in longing for the second coming of Christ. And Father, in that, I pray that our hope would increase. Maybe regardless of the kind of year we had, maybe we had a difficult year. Maybe we feel like we're still waiting for some things to come through in this life and we don't know if they ever will. But Father, I pray that in spite of that, maybe our hope would increase, that our joy would increase, our comfort would increase in this season. Even though there's no logical, earthly explanation for that. Because of our hope in Christ, our hope in the gospel.
our hope in Advent. God, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.